Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. By the time you listen to this show, the House of Representatives will have voted to impeach the President of the United States. Newspapers will be calling the vote historic. But the truth is, what's happening in D.C., for now, it's still just one group of legislators filing a complaint with the senators down the hall. One more step in a constitutional dance. This dance will have consequences. Every process in Washington has consequences. But to see those consequences, you've got to go somewhere else, where you can watch how the decisions made on Capitol Hill actually unfold. That's what Adolfo Flores did a few months back. Adolfo wanted to see how new federal policies on immigration were playing out along the border. So I moved from Los Angeles right to the tip of Texas. You know, I, I was hired uh, by BuzzFeed to cover Latino issues. And when I started the job, I, I told myself I wouldn't focus on immigration because it's not the only Latino issue um, in the U.S. But Trump happened. And so I just sort of started doing more immigration uh, coverage, and eventually eventually became my, my only beat. Adolfo came here because he wanted to understand the impact of a rule that was announced one year ago, Homeland Security's Remain in Mexico policy. The one thing with a lot of these policies, including the Remain in Mexico policy, is it changes every day. You know, it's much easier uh, if I can just drive over to Mexico, you know, which sometimes it's 20 minutes away, sometimes it's an hour. Around here, getting to Mexico means crossing a bridge into Matamoros. I asked Adolfo to tell me what that trip looks like these days. You know, you're walking over and you just look and you look across the street from where you um, enter uh, from the U.S. side. And, you know, it's, it's like a... Like a sea of tents, different colors, there's tarps, uh, it's kids running around, you know, adults talking. Uh, some people have made, like, stoves out of mud and sticks. When he saw these stoves, Adolfo realized these people aren't going anywhere. Migrants like this, they used to be able to claim asylum and then stay in the United States while they waited to go in front of a judge. It's a practice that's often been called catch and release. Now migrants are being sent back to remain in Mexico, in these camps. The other day I saw a group of men digging this massive hole to, you know, make like a porta potty because at the time there weren't enough for the number of people who were there. So they're making their own? Uh, yeah, yeah. So they dig a big hole and then they put up this like, wood, little shack, and then people use the restroom in there. This camp in Matamoros, it's the largest of its kind on the U.S.-Mexico border. At least a thousand people live here, probably more, all because of a decision made hundreds of miles away, months ago. 
the U.S. keeps saying that Mexico is providing humanitarian care and shelter, but in Matamoros and other areas, it's just not meeting the needs of the people that are being sent back. Today on the show, we're going to revisit a U.S. immigration policy one year later. The idea was to barricade America's front door, keep migrants away by making it clear they aren't welcome. That policy, it's at a cost. I'm Mary Harris. This is What Next. Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by SAP. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI will not help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos, but it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia, or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks, or automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology, real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The Remain in Mexico policy was sold as a humane way to send a message to families. Don't pay a smuggler to get you into the U.S. You'll just be tossed out again. But even though the administration pledged to expedite their court hearings, asylum seekers, they're still waiting months, sometimes upwards of a year, to go in front of a judge. So they're settling in to camps like the one in Matamoros. These camps can be dangerous. Human rights researchers tried to tally up public reports of attacks on anyone returned to Mexico under the new policy. They found 636 reported instances of rape, kidnapping, and violence. Adolfo Flores, he says those are just the cases that were reported to law enforcement. Would you report an attack if you were in a foreign country living under a tent? I was thinking about how it's been a year since the Remain in Mexico policy was first announced. And of course, its official name is the Migrant Protection Protocols. But reading your reporting, (laughs) I just wondered, who is this policy protecting? I would say that this is not protecting the immigrants. You know, this is a this is a policy that was put in place to deter people from coming. And this is something that border officials will say. We're now sending the message that if you're coming here as an economic migrant, you're not going to be allowed in the United States. That's driving a lot of people to return. That's Mark Morgan, acting commissioner for Customs and Border Protection. Morgan uses the word return. But remember, a lot of asylum seekers, they're not returning to their homes. Mexico is a foreign country for them. And they've got next to nothing. I want to talk about a couple of the people you've met. You spent some time with this teenager named Brenny and her father, 
Salvador, and they're living in the camp, right? Yes. I'd heard, initially I heard somebody had drowned while they were bathing in the Rio Grande. And then I realized that the 17-year-old, her name is Brenny, she didn't die, but she had almost drowned. I you know, wanted to see how she was, but also what happened. Why was she in the river in the first place? Because they're living in the camp and there's no shelters in Matamoros to house everyone that's being sent back, there's not enough water to, to shower and, and, and clean things. So because they're right next to the Rio Grande, people would go in there and bathe. And it looks like if you look at the river, sometimes it's very, it looks very calm, but there's undercurrents and you have to be careful. And wouldn't she was there with her friends. She was, you know, bathing with her friends. And all of a sudden, this like undercurrent grabbed her and uh, some of the other girls and started dragging them. The way she told us, she was like, I just kept trying to get out. And before I knew it, I was under the water and then everything went black. Hmm. What happened afterwards is, is um, a group of Cubans went in and they were, they were able to get her. And they had to call the ambulance. And her dad was working at the time. And someone went to go grab him as they're trying to, I think, perform CPR. And then they put her in an ambulance. But the look on his face and he was crying. And, you know, it was, it was, something, it was something as simple as bathing, right? Uh, in, in a river uh, that, that, that turned deadly. You know, and, and the dad doesn't remember. He doesn't remember any of that moment when I talked to him a couple of days later. Because it was so emotional. Yeah, yeah. They went to the hospital. They pumped her stomach because it was full of water. She woke up. They gave her some medication for infections, and they sent her back. But she still felt sick, and they went back again, and they, they got sent back like, you're fine. The dad didn't think they were getting the right amount of care. And that's like something that I hear more often now. Even from doctors who are working there, U.S. doctors who are sending people, that you know, people aren't getting treated the way they should. Immigrants. So this story, it tells so much. First of all, just about the sanitary conditions on the border, which is people are bathing in a river. And I know that you also wrote that this river, it's just not clean. Like, dead animals will float in it, too. Yeah. So that's one issue. And then there's the issue of there's so many people that the city, Mexico, isn't properly able to care for them. So even though this girl was saved from drowning, she didn't get maybe the full treatment that she might have gotten if the resources were available. Yeah, yeah. And it's something that, that happens. It, it doesn't just happen to them, right? Other, other people will tell me the same thing. Like the Mexican government says, we give them state health insurance, they're covered. But when you talk to people who are using it and who need uh, more than, you know, the basics, then you actually realize, oh, no, there, there are some gaps here. Um, and you know, no one's really talking about them. So how had Brenny and her father ended up in this camp? They traveled from Honduras and they had arrived to the border in mid-July. 
But yeah, I mean, they, they had their first court date in October, late October, around there. You know, and that, so that, that, that kind of gives you a sense of how long they waited and how long, you know, people have three, four, five hearings sometimes. So they're going to be there for a while. Uh, I know that they have an asylum case, but the, the dad was very like, I don't want to talk about my, you know, why we fled. Why don't they want to talk about what led them to the border? One thing that the media attention has sort of taught people is they don't need to tell their whole story. Sometimes they don't want to. It's painful. You know, they're, they're also worried that if it gets back to wherever they're from, that there could be consequences. And, and they don't have a lot of trust in, in people. So it sounds like Brenny and her dad, Salvador, they really settled in. You said Salvador had a job even in the camp. Yeah, I, uh, the job he has now, the last time I saw him, like two weeks ago, he was a parking attendant. And that, that's, I mean, that's the thing. One of the, in my experience covering immigration, I covered the caravans last year and, you know, life goes on regardless of what is happening. People get jobs, uh, people fall in love, new friendships are made, people become more politicized in some cases. So Salvador is working now as a parking attendant. And are they living in a tent? Yeah, yeah, they're living in a tent on the street in this uh, plaza uh, that's right at like the foot of the bridge that connects Brownsville and Matamoros. And it's, you know, on this plaza on concrete and they're just surrounded by tents, just like squished together. There's no official number. Like I've heard, yeah, 2,600, 2,400. 1500 it's just back-to-back tents yeah but the cold front's coming in and when you have that many people you know basically stacked up on top of each other and people get sick it spreads and you have vulnerable people you have pregnant women in, in these camps you have kids and so there is concern about the health implications of, of remain in mexico with the camp's conditions so squalid and so visible. Mexican officials have been trying to make migrants move to a shelter run by the Mexican government. This happened back in November. One asylum seeker filmed a Mexican official holding a clipboard, announcing that adults who didn't move would be separated from their children. A voice off camera asks the man with the clipboard how he would like it if his kids were taken away. Then the voice asks, why aren't you helping? What article of the law lets you take kids away by force? So the Mexican government is basically set up like a separate area where it's more contained? Yeah, so it's, um, it's on the banks of the river... So you can't really see them over there. They had built these big white tents that you that is is what you imagine when you think of refugee camps, um, and they were trying to get people to move in there. But but the the people in the camp are just so distrustful of the government at this point that they don't want to go over there. Yeah, you talked to a, a Honduran man who was actually refusing to leave the tent city as it currently operates. And I was surprised because he was really seeing that move as a political act. 
He was saying, I don't want to be moved out of sight. We're not holding protest signs, but being out here creates social pressure for Mexico and the U.S. Do you think a lot of the migrants see themselves that way? More than you think. I was I was truly surprised when he said that uh, because I wasn't thinking about it that way either. Uh, but there is a lot of people there who who have this protest and pressure awareness. You know, a few months ago, a group of them shut down a bridge, the bridge, for 15 hours. It's a very popular bridge for for commerce and people coming back and forth. The bridge uh, to the United States. Yeah, uh, and I was really surprised. People think of of immigrants in this situation as these helpless victims. Sometimes it's sort of like the idea that we have. But, you know, they're they're far from it. And more recently, when I was talking to Alexander, the Honduran man, he's well aware of what it looks like when people cross over and they look at this camp. He knows that local residents, you know, see it as an eyesore. He knows that it's going to attract U.S. reporters. Because I think one of the reasons that the ruin in Mexico has been able to expand and continue in part, is because it has largely played out away from U.S. eyes. You know, and, and most people in the U.S. don't understand how it's working. Um, versus you know, something like family separation, where people are very upset. This is something that they don't see. So how does all this social pressure and political pressure, how does it impact a family like Brenny and Salvador? I mean, they went through this awful, almost drowning and then they returned to the camp and they had to keep on top of their asylum claim. What happens to that kind of family now? Brenny crossed into the U.S. as an unaccompanied minor. Uh, the dad, you know, let her go. Uh, it, it's something that's been happening at the camp increasingly where parents are sending their kids alone. And, and because they go alone, they're considered unaccompanied minors by the U.S., and they can't send them back uh, under MPP. It doesn't, they can't apply that, that to them. And so then the kids go into government custody and either with a sponsor or, or they stay in like some sort of like foster care program. Most, most, most go to a sponsor. Brothers, aunts, uncles, if they're lucky, another parent who's over there, cousins, but also family friends who are willing to take responsibility for, for these kids. So this father and daughter, they've made their way up from Honduras. They've been together in this camp. The daughter's almost drowned. And then eventually the solution is for the dad to basically push his daughter across the border and hope for the best. But to them, it's a, it's a better option. To them, it's a better choice than what they're enduring at the camp. Here, here's the question that I kept asking myself, reading all of your reporting from the last few months, which is when this Remain in Mexico policy was announced, the idea was that we'll create a situation that people don't want to be in. We have so many families and children coming to the border and we want them to stop coming. So we'll make this as uncomfortable as possible. Have you seen any evidence that people have stopped coming? 
Yeah, the, the numbers have gone down. CBP, uh, Border Patrol, they'll, they'll say, like, this is a success. This has done what we wanted it to do. I'll give you an example. Just four short uh, uh, months ago, our daily apprehensions were close to 5,000. And today, I just looked at it on my screen before I left my office, it's below 1,700. We have essentially ended catch and release. If you come to our borders now with a child, it's no longer an immediate passport. It's an Adolfo Flores, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Adolfo Flores covers immigration on the U.S. southern border for BuzzFeed. If you are wondering, like me, what happens to asylum seekers once their wait in Mexico is over, there was this recent report from the San Diego Union-Tribune that I found really interesting. It shows these migrants have next to no chance of having an asylum petition granted. While nearly 50,000 people are in the Remain in Mexico program, of those people, only 11 have been granted asylum. Before this policy was in place, one out of five asylum seekers was able to stay. All right, that is the show. Guys, I do have an announcement, which is we are not going to do an impeachment roundup this week. We think a lot of other places are doing interesting work right now. And we also wanted to tell other stories, like Adolfo's. This is our last show before a big holiday break. We're going to do a special look back show. You can look for it in your feed on December 30th. We'll be back with a new show on the 2nd. And then on the 3rd, we're going to catch you up on all the impeachment news that trickles out over Christmas break. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Mara Silvers, Mary Wilson, and Jason DeLeon. I'm Mary Harris. Have a great new year. I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. I'm Dahlia Lithwick, and I'm host of Amicus, Slate's podcast about the law and the U.S. Supreme Court. We are shifting into high gear, coming at you weekly with the context you need to understand the rapidly changing legal landscape. The many trials of Donald J. Trump, judicial ethics, arguments and opinions at SCOTUS. We are tackling the big legal news with clarity and insight every single week. New Amicus episodes every Saturday, wherever you listen.